0: Hello and welcome to Disney Rewind, a Disney nostalgia podcast served with a glass of wine. We are your hosts, Adina Miller and Rachel Seedman, and in each episode we break down a piece of Disney media and pair it perfectly with a glass of wine. Cheers. Hello. Oh my god, we're back, Rachel. We are back at season 2. I'm so excited. Woo, episode 16 overall. Yeah sweet 16 you know gotta bring in all the feels and oh we
1: exciting this is kicking off season two i'm very excited for this i mean it was nice we took a little break we saw each other a couple of times we, we went to universal and we went to a touch of disney which was <sighs>
0: so magical It was the most magical, and I cannot wait to return to a Disney park again in the future. I know. So let's, you know what, it's as fun as our break was, I am so ready to get back recording. So to keep these happy magical feelings going, we got a really wonderful review over our break. So we wanted to read that aloud and give a little shout out.
1: Absolutely. So this review comes from Marissa P. And it says, wine and Disney, sign me up. Love this podcast. The host devotes so much time to research of both the wines and movies that they talk about. I love the unique concept of pairing a wine with a Disney movie. I think this is such a great podcast before a movie night. I work as a waitress in Orlando and will be recommending this to all my guests who love Disney and wine. Little heart emoji. Mm. From a fellow Disney podcast, the Mouse Club podcast. So,
0: Marissa, thank you. Thank you, Marissa. And if you guys aren't listening already, go check out the Mouse Club podcast. It is another amazing Disney podcast. We have had such a wonderful time connecting with A lot of different Disney podcasts, and this is just one of them. So, Marissa, thank you so much for the love and support. And thank you to everybody who has been listening to us and commenting on our posts and sending us messages over our break. Another shout out that we would like to give is to the lovely ladies over at the Happiest Ears Company, Kelsey and Danica. They are located in Santa Maria, California, which is really close to Rachel. It is. And uh, before we went to A Touch of Disney, they met up with Rachel and gave us some really adorable little gifties. Uh, you may have seen them in our stories if you followed along. The cork ears. Oh my
1: gosh. They were such a hit. I mean, we of course loved them, but the amount of compliments that we got from Almost every cast member we interacted with, from other people who were behind us in line to pick up their food, to just random people passing us while we're sitting eating our Dole Whips, these were the hit of A Touch
0: of Disney, were these ears from these two girls. I opened this box and nearly cried. It was so nice. They don't actually make ears. These were just a lovely gift that they gave us. What they do make are Minnie Mouse ear keychains. And along with these ears, they gave us matching little keychains. Both Rachel and I have shared these keychains on our stories. Uh, Rachel has one that is Marie from the Aristocats. Mm -hmm. And I have one that's R2-D2. And they are so cute, so perfect for my keys. And I can't wait to add these little cork ear headband keychain to my keys. Oh, my gosh. So... Kelsey and Danica, we just wanted to give you a shout out again. uh, We love you guys and we hope that you guys go and give them all the love. It's at The Happiest Ears Co. on Instagram and check them out on Etsy as well. Absolutely.
1: So we've just had so much magic for our break between these amazing reviews, seeing each other, these amazing gifts and other shops that we've met through all of this. That I think we just have to kick off season two so
0: strong. So, Adina, you picked the movie. What did we watch this week? That I did. This is a movie that is near and dear to my heart. It came out the year that I was born. So, I have always had a very special love for this movie. It's Aladdin. Ugh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yes. So, uh, Aladdin was released on November 25th, 1992. Fun fact, November 25th is my parents' anniversary. Yes, Aladdin is the 31st Disney animated feature film and was the fourth produced during the wonderful Disney Renaissance. So I wanted to keep it in the Renaissance. We had such a fun time with Hunchback. So this was produced and directed by our favorite dynamic duo, Ron Clements and John Musker. Mm. And it is based on the Arabic folktale of the same name from The 1001 Nights. All right. So Disney Plus gave us an interesting description I agree. I'm a little out of practice, so I did not write my own in addition to this because it it hits on the points, I guess. It's just done very interestingly. It is done very interestingly. Okay, so you guys can tell us what you think. Street smart Aladdin and Princess Jasmine join forces to save the kingdom from the evil sorcerer Jafar. Along the way, Aladdin learns to believe in himself with the help from a hilarious genie and three wishes that can change everything.
1: It hits all of our main characters. Yeah, but I think the problem with it, and it puts a lot of emphasis on it being kind of a love story that Aladdin and Jasmine are teaming up. up. No, they're not. Aladdin and the genie are teaming up for something completely different. And in turn, because of the actions they set in motion, now they have to defeat a sorcerer. So like... It's a very weird way to
0: describe what's happening because it's just not what happens they don't even so it says they join forces that doesn't happen until the last like 20 minutes of the movie well and the forces
1: that they join is like one moment where they're joining forces and right. then she's thrown into an hourglass sorry spoiler alert oh then, no <laughs> spoiler
0: alert rachel god i i know i'm sorry
1: but like so then they're no longer teamed up it's now just back to I aladdin
0: know. we will get into the plot of yeah. this movie but before we do that let's talk about what we are going to drink alongside.
1: Yes, I am actually very excited. So when we knew that we were going to do Aladdin, you and I, Adina, had talked that it would be really fun for us to do an Israeli wine. We are doing a movie that takes place in Middle East. We're wanting to kind of You know, leave our little California roots that we've been hanging out with and go to somewhere else that's a little more close to home for this movie. So we are going to be having a Tulip is the name of the winery, everybody, and we're having a Merlot from Tulip. Now, if you're curious why we chose this wine or how we chose this wine, Adina had a little bit of help for us picking this wine.
0: Yes. So uh, we got this wine from a boutique wine shop that specifically specializes in kosher and Israeli wines. It is called Decanter. And it is actually owned and founded by my father, Keith Miller. So shout out, dad. Love you. Mm -hmm. He specializes in kosher and Israeli wines. This is one of the wines that he has on the site. And it, I believe the price point is about $20, which is pretty good for a wine that is exported from Israel. Yes. So if you want to check that out, it is d-cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R dot And he currently ships to most of the West Coast, Arizona, California, Idaho, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, Washington State, and random Washington, D.C. that is really random actually but yes go check it out hopefully we'll have the chance to have another one of his wines but gotta give some love to my dad
1: (laughs) yeah no and I'm so happy that he was able to hook us up with this so again so that we could have a winery or have a wine that's close to the region that we're going to be talking about today and really you know Agrabah spoiler It's not a real place, but it's based (laughs) off of some real places so we can get a little bit closer. So, we're having a Merlot. The aroma is going to be filled with red plums, cherries, red raspberry, chocolate, and mint. Mm. Whereas, on the palate, you'll detect plum, mint, roasted coffee, along with a pleasant herbaceous taste.
0: Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So... Let's go ahead and pour. Before we even uh, take a sip and everything, Adina and I are rocking um, two matching mugs that we happened to get while we were at Bubba Gump's and City Walk during our Universal trip. Um, Hashtag
0: not sponsored, but. Not sponsored. huge Huge shout out to Bubba Gump. All we wanted was a margarita, and Taste of Universal did not have margaritas. So we went and we sat down and we had these tequila mules that came with the glass or the copper mug for an extra three bucks and they say run forest run and have little trees with legs so I just want to say
1: yeah (laughs) Bubba Gump we're we're not sponsored but if you'd like to we love your shrimp (laughs) we ate a lot of it oh
0: lord so let's go ahead and get into this and say cheers cheers that's really nice I'm definitely getting the plum both on the nose and Mm -hmm. on the palate. Yeah, there's definitely, again, going back to that juicy word
1: that we used back in season one, this is a very juicy Merlot that we have. I also, though, like, I'm getting that roasted coffee. I'm sensing some roasted coffee kind of at the very end of it.
0: I was going to say I'm getting the mint.
1: Wow, we are getting every flavor between the two of us. But so let me tell you a little bit more about... Not just Merlot, but also Israeli wines and specifically the Tulip Winery. So first and foremost, the Tulip Winery is on a hillside in Kafar Tikva, which is a small and pastoral settlement for residents with special needs. So the winery was chosen to be there with a vision and purpose of providing employment to the members of the settlement and enabling them to develop and realize their potential by integrating them into daily production work. In addition, the village members also take part in the winery events and also are partners in the sales and marketing process.
0: So I absolutely love Tulip. This story, the fact that there is this entire community in Israel, so uh, Kfar Tikva, it's located in the southern Galilee, so northern Israel near mm-hmm. Haifa, if anyone is familiar, and it it just, it's such a beautiful story, you know, rather than casting people who are different aside, they are welcoming them in with open arms, giving them jobs, they live in this community, they work, they earn their wages. And they're really a part of something special. I actually went to Tulip in 2015 with my parents and it was just such a wonderful experience. We got to tour the whole town, the winery. I'll share some photos of me in the tasting room. And it was just such a really beautiful experience to we, – we got to interact with the people who lived there. And, you know, it, it was just – it was really heartwarming. So I love supporting Israeli wine and Israeli products, but I particularly love supporting this winery because of what they do and who they support. So
1: some other things before we get into Merlot and I have plenty to talk about for Merlot. This is I'm excited to talk about Merlot to be completely (laughs) honest but just to kind of stick with the theme of Israeli wines and just give you guys a little bit of a history because I feel like while it is a very up-and-coming wine region and it's very much making its Place In the wine world, I feel like a lot of people don't know. So just to give a little bit of information of the wine region in Israel, there's five main wine regions. So this one is in the Judean Hills. And it's actually, so the Judean Hills region is Israel's largest growing area. And it accounts for 27% of the production of the wine that is grown in all of Israel. But they do have five distinct regions. And like Adina was saying, before I did my research on Israeli wines, I was first focusing on Merlot. And this is a perfect tie-in that there's two different types of Merlot that you can have. You can have a warm climate Merlot And you have a cool climate Merlot. And so I played a little game with myself of reading the descriptions of the warm versus cool climate, and then looking at the information about the winery and the specific wine, and to figure out, is this going to be a wine a warm climate Merlot or a cool climate Merlot? And based, <laughs> uh, it was very fun. And then I, I double-checked myself. But based on the descriptions of what goes into a cooler climate Merlot versus a warmer climate Merlot, I could tell that the Merlot that we were going to be having was going to be a cool climate Merlot. and like you said, you already validated this. It's in the Northern region of Israel, which is the cooler part of Israel. There's a lot of microclimates in Israel, you guys. Oh my
0: God. Yeah. So
1: I've already talked about what we have here. So the key points that you can tell is in a cool climate Merlot is that it is oftentimes going to have a lot more of the red plum flavor than in a warm climate Merlot. And then the, um, Chocolate and the mint flavors are also more common in the cooler climate Merlots than in the warmer climates. However, so Merlot is basically comes from the Cabernet Franc grape, which means that it is a sibling of Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes. And this wine, a Merlot, especially a cool climate Merlot, is so often confused during a blind tasting with a cab. They're oftentimes, oftentimes confused that if you are doing a blind tasting with a cool climate Merlot, there's a good chance that you're going to think that you are drinking a cab instead. Fascinating. So the way that you can tell that you're drinking a Merlot, though. So let's say you're just randomly doing a blind tasting because that's what people do for fun. And you're thinking to yourself, is this a Merlot or is this a cab? Here are some things to taste for. You're going to have some blue fruit flavors. And so what is blue fruit flavors? That's going to be things along the lines of your your plums, even though plums can be a little red, purple. There's a lot of that purple. You're going to have some blueberry flavors. You're going to have that juicier blue flavor.
0: Mm -hmm. It's going
1: to have softer tannins, which I am getting, that this is much softer. Very
0: much so. And then
1: the mocha and chocolate notes. So if you're really searching for that mocha, the coffee, or the chocolate, That's not as present in cabs. So if you're ever doing a blind tasting, you're just like, ooh, Merlot, cab. Really try and find yourself with the soft tannins and that, that chocolate or mocha flavor, and that will help guide you to determine that this is a Merlot, not a cab. Merlot is... Paired with a wide variety of foods. In fact, so many foods Merlot can be paired with that it's easier to say what it should <laughs> not be paired with than what it should be paired with. Okay.
0: What should we <laughs> not have with it? So
1: do not have delicate fish dishes, Okay, light salads, or super spicy things. That ah. was it. Those were the only three no-no's that Wine Folly could provide me with. And Hmm. it said, other than these things, experiment with it. Try it with different flavors because it's most likely going to work with almost a wide variety of flavors.
0: Fascinating. Yeah.
1: One more thing about this specific Merlot is it's not a pure Merlot. Something that Tulip does is they do add in some other wines to their... So this is a Merlot, but they're going to add in some other ones. And they do this with other wines too. So in addition to Merlot, this has 5% Carignan and 5% Viognier added during the aging process. Hmm. So it is not purely Merlot. It has about 10% of other wines in there too to kind of just add some flavor. And it's going with their idea of innovating and kind of creating something that's uniquely theirs. I realized I never even read the back of the bottle, so we're going to do that right now. <laughs> That's okay. The back of our bottle, as we always look for. A new and current interpretation of a classic varietal. The local Karen Yen and Viognier varietals are is combined with Merlot grapes to create an updated classic innovative, exciting, and elegant. So again, this is something that Tulip does is they will take other wines and add it in during their aging process to just change it ever so slightly and make it, like I just said,
0: uniquely theirs. I love that. And another thing on this label that I love is we only put labels on wine, not on people. Yeah.
1: I mean, it it just goes with kind of their philosophy of their winery yes. and making sure to be supportive of people of all, regardless of who you are. Yes. Now, the reason I was so very excited to talk about Merlot is because I live in the Central Coast area, which is a very big wine region. Yes. And in 2004, a very important movie came out and that movie was called Sideways. Yes. And now Sideways has a very important scene. In fact, it's a about a minute. It's about a bit minute long, and there's one sentence in this scene that essentially wrecked Merlot. Merlot was already having some problems. So in the 90s, it had an image problem. California Merlots were too sweet, and they were just not good wines. California was yeah. not producing good Merlots in the 90s. You have that. They start improving, and then they are hit with the movie version of Sideways which tanked Merlot sales by 2% while upping upping Pinot Noir sales in Western States. No joke, 16% after that movie came out. Damn. So the official line that really, you know, put that nail in Merlot's coffin. No, if anyone orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot. And that (laughs) ruined (laughs) Merlot for so long and for so many people. And here's what's crazy. So I've actually read the book sideways in addition to seeing the movie. He doesn't actually hate Merlot. He hates Merlot because it's his ex-wife's favorite type of wine. They don't include that. It just seems like he's a wine snob and the wine snob doesn't like Merlot. Therefore, Merlot is bad. Mm. But the actual story in the book is he doesn't want to drink Merlot because it's his ex's favorite.
0: And that's not included. But that's not funny. That's not funny to share.
1: I'm sorry, it tanked Merlot sales. That one line did it. And it's a it's not it's not because it was a snobby thing. It was because it his ex-wife in the story. So I just was really excited to bring up talking about what ruined Merlot. And Merlot was again already having plenty of problems. They've improved quite a bit. This is oh, yeah. wonderful Merlot. This is delightful. Um, but between it being an Israeli wine and between it being us giving Merlot, it's time. You know what? It is time for Merlot to come back and not be considered the cooking wine of the industry. Oh. It is, I know, that, yeah. was, that was a dig. It is time for Merlot to come back. So I am very happy to have our Israeli wine. I'm happy to have our wine that has connections to Adina, to myself, and that really is supporting a lot of people in the region, in Israel. So I am very excited to kind of, you know, sip on this while we get into our movie. Me too. Oh, I forgot one thing. Oh, gosh. See, you guys, we're out of practice right now. We are.
0: We're very out of practice. This is
1: very important to say merlot day because we were doing oh my god how could we forget i know so merlot day ladies and gentlemen november 7th break out your bottle of merlot that is when we celebrate so just mark your calendars november 7th is merlot day
0: well rachel will be down here with me for the whole week (laughs) yes i will and we'll drink some merlot i've poured myself more of this delicious merlot so again this movie came out november 25th 1992 Adina was wee oui, bebe, just six months old, oh. and it was released with critical and commercial success, becoming the highest grossing film of 1992, with an earn of over $504 million in worldwide box office revenue. Guys, that's half a billion dollars in the 90s? That's insane. That's so much money. It became the first animated feature to reach that half billion dollar mark, and it was the highest grossing animated film of all time until it was surpassed in 1994 by The Lion King. So at least it was overthrown by a fellow Disney feature that it not was. Something weird. Mm-hmm. But it was also the last film by Disney to be entirely based on a fairy tale or folklore until the release of Tangled in 2010. I saw that and it made
1: me happy, but it was also a very weird departure that after this they left, because if you could go back to those early Disney and for so long, they're based on fairy tale and folklore. And so to leave that is kind of crazy. That's a yeah, big I know. departure. I,
0: I was thinking of the films that came out in subsequent years and they're based on history or mythology we talked about hercules or shakespeare if we talk about the lion king yeah it's just it's it's interesting yeah so it's not something that i had thought about until i was researching and i'm like oh oh that that is right wait what weird yeah yeah so it won two academy awards for best original score and best original song for a whole new world we talk about this in our musical mini episode Mm-hmm. We, we dove into A Friend Like Me and talked about our thoughts and feelings on A Whole New World versus Friend Like Me. We're not going to go into that now. So if you want to hear more about that, definitely go check out our Patreon page and uh, subscribe there. <laughs> Here's some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was nominated for A Friend Like Me as well as the Best Original Song. Didn't win. Best Sound Editing. And best sound. So clearly, sound-wise, everybody was happy. Absolutely. And I mean, I think you could definitely hear that
1: in this movie. It is, the sound editing is really, really cool between all of the different songs that exist in the movie, like there's a lot going in and I was watching it with like my surround sound at home. And it's like a very cool experience, especially I didn't talk about this during our mini. So, but especially during friend like me and Prince Ali, when you have this like very surround experience, it's like, it's home. very,
0: it's immersive. It's yeah, just, like, you feel like you are in the middle of this movie. You are in the middle of Agrabah experiencing this along with the crowds you know it it did get its due diligence i know we're
1: gonna talk a decent amount and it's really hard to look up facts about this movie without having so many about the one the only robin williams and man yes seriously bow down this he him in this role kind of redefined having comedic actors in animation and having animation really kind of change how they tell their stories and how they have their characters written after the genie and so one there's one thing that I read that just like made me smile from ear to ear I mean almost everything that I read about Robin Williams as the genie makes me smile from ear to ear but this story oh my gosh okay so in case you didn't know there's over 16 hours worth of ad libbed content that Robin Williams did as the genie.
0: oh yeah can you imagine can you imagine getting your hands on that? No, we won't get our
1: hands on it anytime no, soon never We it's just not gonna happen yeah. but you can get a lot of it on YouTube. Some of it was released but here's a fantastic story about an entire scene that was completely ad libbed And so the opening merchant scene, is completely ad-libbed, and it's... Oh my
0: gosh, so... I love it so much.
1: When, yeah, when he gets pulled in to be the narrator at the beginning of the movie, behind the scenes, here is how that scene went down. The one, the only, notorious, Jeffrey Katzenberg, ladies and gentlemen. He just keeps popping up. He will pop up throughout our entire renaissance and basically up until he left for Bug's Life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But... Jeffrey Katzenberg had this idea to fill a box with unexpected objects, cover it with a cloth, and then record Williams as describing the items as character as he pulled them out of the box. And that's what happened. So all of the things that he says as the merchant at the beginning, you know, it's coffee maker hookah combination, also Julianne's fries, that was improvised. When he talks about the Dead Sea Tupperware, that's also improvised. As he's going through all of this, these are just things that he's pulling out of a box and pretending and making things up. But one product that did not make it on, and oh my gosh, I love this so much, was when he pulled a bra out of the box. (laughs) <laughs> okay. That's all I needed to say. But he okay. joked. He joked that was a double slingshot, a double yamaka, and then slyly mused, "Hmm, I should have called her." And it's just, like, <laughs> can you imagine this merchant at the beginning? In addition to pulling out his coffee maker, uh, hookah combo, his Dead Sea Tupperware, pulling out a bra and be like, it doubles as a slingshot. It doubles as a yamaka, huh? Oh my I should have called her. <laughs> uh, it's amazing, and just knowing that that whole scene was completely ad libbed just goes to show the incredible talent that he has. I mean, every scene that he's in, of course, we could go on and on. We could probably just have an entire episode talking just about Robin Williams as the genie in this oh, movie. Yeah. But I just that when I read that, I laughed out loud
0: for a decent amount of time no that's hysterical (laughs) so like we said we could turn this into an entire robin williams stan podcast but we're not going to do that because i don't think we're qualified to do so so let's talk about a couple of the other voice actors you guys know i love giving my voice actors their credit so scott wanger as aladdin uh, you may remember him as Steve from Full House, DJ's boyfriend. So some fun facts about Scott. For his audition, he sent in a homemade audition tape as Aladdin with his mother playing the genie. And after several callbacks, found out about six months later that he had been cast as the character. Uh, <laughs> I know, I love adorable. I yeah. He was only 17 years old when he recorded this. Aladdin is a young adult. So he like really had to step into that more mature role to really get that mindset. But yeah, he was, he was a teenager. Wow. Like very strange. And he, uh, he said that while he was recording, he would really get into it, take his shirt off. At, Cause you know, Aladdin doesn't wear a shirt. To, to really get immersed into his role while recording, he would just
1: take his shirt off adina it's called method acting Maybe okay but you've he heard was I a mean, child <laughs> i know I, I saw that and i just was like i'm sorry what it's a lot <laughs> you know
0: what he nailed the part so whatever you gotta do man he nailed the part but what he didn't nail though was the singing voice that no. is voiced by brad kane Who is not credited? I'm sorry. It is the 90s and we are going back to this not crediting our voice actors. And uh, Leah Salonga, who voices uh, Princess Jasmine's singing voice, also not credited. She is a Broadway superstar actress. She is amazing. You're not giving these actors their due? But like, I thought we moved past this when we moved into the Renaissance. And did they do this in Hunchback too? Mm, Not credit the singing voices? Yeah. But yeah, I believe they did not. Yes, because voices. Demi Moore definitely did not sing. <laughs> no. no, no, she did not. But Princess Jasmine, who was voiced by Linda Larkin, this was she was the first Disney princess to not sing her role at all. Mm-hmm. And this really like marked a change for the Disney princesses in that it can be voiced by a big name star, but singing wise, does not have to be someone that we know. But I really still think that we should get the – they should get the credit in the – in those credits, which weird. Those credits were weird. They do not have a cast list. It's just they had all the animation headlines and then said, voiced by so-and-so, and and then had all of the animators. It was very odd. I'm getting very ahead of myself. You are getting ahead. And I read that, you know, this wasn't really supposed to – this wasn't supposed to be Jasmine's movie. It's called Aladdin – Aladdin was supposed to pave the way for Disney princes to come. That yeah. didn't really come to be. Nope. There's not movies about Disney princes. And I don't know. I feel like they kind of should have moved forward with that. I would be very interested to see what kind of projects would have come from that.
1: Well, and they kind of did have some more leading males, actually. You think Hunchback. You think Hercules. You think uh, – Yeah. Some, but – they aren't they're not princes
0: they're not quasimodo definitely isn't
1: no but but you're you're totally right that this was supposed to be this shift of having disney prince leads and it just really never came to fruition and i do agree that i think it would be very interesting to get Ooh, can you imagine you know how we have like um once and we have Hook and we have all these other like retellings of stories from different perspectives. Can you imagine if Disney did some of their classic
0: movies from the prince's perspective? Oh, that would be super interesting. Anyway, we've gotten very off track. We really (laughs) have. So let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. One more voice actor that I'm going to give a shout out to. And that is Mr. Jonathan Freeman, who voices Jafar. Yeah. And iconic. Take a drink.
1: Yep. Oh, I roll.
0: Yeah, I know. You should take a drink. So he was actually the first actor that was cast in this movie. And he spent a year and nine months recording his dialogue. Wow. Who, daddy. He actually readjusted his voice after Scott Weinger and Linda Larkin were cast as he felt that Jafar had to be seen as a real threat to Aladdin and Jasmine. Uh, he was originally envisioned as like this... Very irritable, very easy to anger, stuffy British dude. And the directors decided that having him be a calmer villain would actually make him scarier. So, yeah. yes, in the original version, Jafar was like the manic one and Iago was like the calm, collected one. I am very, very glad that they switched this because Iago, voiced by Gilbert Gilbert Gottfried, chef's kiss, beautiful, amazing. But I think that because he is so calm, it makes him scarier. I'm gonna shout it back to Hunchback with Frollo, yes. another relatively calm guy. I mean, in front of people, like behind closed doors, he's yep. not job. Yep. But because he is so calm, you don't know what he's thinking, and that makes him even more dangerous.
1: Absolutely. I I am very happy that we went with more of a calm, calculating manipulative villain instead of just like (laughs) like evil laugh here of just like (laughs) crazy villain.
0: But yeah, so he says that the voice of Jafar that Freeman came up with uh, is a mix of Boris Karloff and the one and only Vincent Price, guys! Gosh. Y'all remember Vincent Price? Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective? So he was calling it back to Musker and Clements's first project. He just wanted me to put another
1: pin in my crazy person map of our Disney movies. Yes,
0: <laughs> exactly. So this is not the only thing that Freeman has voiced as Jafar. He's gone on to do all of the Aladdin sequels, anything in the parks. Um, but he also ended up playing the live action version in the Broadway musical. Like o- OG cast, he's Jafar? Uh-huh.
1: Oh, my God. Isn't that
0: amazing? Oh, my God. I love it. He created this role. So he's just, you know, gone on and done it as much as he can. And I'm proud of him. And yeah. he, he is a a pillar of, of, of Disney that I'm glad I got to do a little bit of digging on.
1: No, he's amazing. I have one voice actor. Just yeah. one. It's so quick. Yeah. I just want to give... The teeniest little shout out to Frank Welker, yes, who does the voice of Abu, Mm -hmm. Raja, and the Cave of Wonders. Frank Welker has done over 800 voices between film, TV, and video games. This guy has a voice acting pedigree that's insane, but I just wanted to really give him a shout out because my man, Frank Welker was Jolly and the Hunchback of Notre Dame no! <laughs> our little goat Jolly <laughs> that was done by the same guy who does Abu Raja and the Cave of Wonders
0: that's fantastic
1: right I just uh, gotta oh, give so I good. have to give like my voice actors who are like just like the voice actors ones. pedigree people yes. who just do every voice in existence <sighs> give them their shout outs too Another thing that I just, you know, I like calling out is animation things. You like giving our voice actors props. I like giving some animation props. And so, one of the things I just would love to call out is the artistic supervisor and native Iranian, Rasul Azadani, returned to his hometown of. Istahan Han to photograph more than 1,800 shots to assist the artists in authentically recreating the Middle Eastern world of the 15th
0: century. So good. Can you imagine? Like props for going above and beyond what you were asked to do. Yeah.
1: I mean, I get it. There's no Google when they're making this movie. You're not just going to Google 15th century Middle Eastern times. But to go back to your hometown, which I bet his parents were probably just like, we haven't seen you in so long. Just come on back. And so he probably just went back to see family. (laughs) I get it. And he's like, I'm going to make this a work trip and have work pay for everything. But to take 1,800 pictures to make sure that it was authentic and realistic. And that this, I know the sound got so much credit at award shows and everything. But to me, the backgrounds, the landscapes, and the color of this movie is phenomenal. And the color story that it has is so amazing. And so that it comes from this guy going home. 1,800 pictures. Incredible. That's so many.
0: We, we love to give our shout out to everyone behind the scenes. So Absolutely. Um, Before we get into our breakdown of the movie, I went on a very shallow dive, don't worry, it's not that long, on the story development of Aladdin. It does not go as far back as I personally thought it would. Of course, it comes from the Arabic folklore 1001 Nights. But in 1988, lyricist Howard Ashman, rest in peace, pitched the idea of an animated musical adaptation of Aladdin. He had written a 40-page film treatment, remaining faithful to the plot and the characters of the original story, but envisioned it as a campy 1930s-style musical with Cab Calloway, Fats Waller-like genie. Again, we go into this in our minisode. Go check it out.
1: Mm -hmm. I'll try
0: not to mention that again. (laughs) Ashman conceived several songs and added Aladdin's Friends babkak omar and kasim to the story fun fact for those of you who have seen the broadway version there is it may be my favorite song of the musical it's babkak omar aladdin kasim Mm -hmm. it's so catchy and it's been stuck in my head all day and it's so uh,
1: good it's so good he brings the friends the
0: friends come back (laughs) the friends come back yes that's that's what you're trying to say sorry (laughs) yes the friends come back so the studio was actually very dismissive of ashman's treatment And removed the project from development altogether. Bitches. So Ashman and Mankin were later recruited to compose the songs for Beauty and the Beast. Linda Wolverton, who had also worked on Beauty and the Beast, used their treatment and developed a draft with inspired elements from The Thief of Baghdad, another story, such as a villain named Jafar, an aged sidekick, retired human thief named Abu, and a human handmaiden for the princess. Then, this is where our dynamic duo, Clements and Musker, come in, joined the production, and they picked Aladdin out of three projects that were offered to them, which also included an adaptation of Swan Lake, which we never got. Ooh. Uh, And the third project was King of the Jungle. That eventually became The Lion King. So before Ashman's death in March of 1991, uh, he... I know... Rest in peace. Very sad. Cheers to Howard Ashman. Oh, my God. Cheers to Howard Ashman. We love you. We love you. Before his death, he and Mankin composed Prince Ali and his last song, which did not make it into the final cut of the movie, called Humiliate the Boy, which was a song to be sung by Jafar. But Disney deemed it too dark. <laughs> Flashing back to Musker and Clements, they wrote a draft of this screenplay and delivered a story reel to then-studio chief Jeffrey Katzenberg. And Mm. uh, as if we needed another reason to hate him... Oh, no. um, He thought the script didn't engage the audience, and on a day known by the staff as Black Friday, demanded that the entire story be rewritten without rescheduling the film's November twenty fifth, 1992 release. Dude, you know what? Go to DreamWorks. Go. Leave. We don't want you anymore. But again, I'm calling them our dynamic duo. They were able to completely turn around the film's new plot and screenplay in just eight days. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yup. Oh, my God. So that was my little shallow dive into the, (laughs) the story development of this movie. So our real heroes are, of course... Howard Ashman and Musker and Clemens. Aww. with a with a slight nod to uh, Alan Mink. Always a always a nod to Alan Mink, and we always, love him. but that we do. Fun fact: the guy who took over after Ashman passed away was Sir Tim Rice, who has the most insane credits. Like he's worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber, he's been knighted by the
1: Queen. He had big shoes to fill, and man, he was probably the right person to fill the shoes.
0: Yes. I could, we we could do a whole podcast just about the music and it would be like five hours long. Yes. But instead of doing that, let's go into the movie.
1: Getting into this movie is we get a very big warning at the very start of this movie. And this is, I've watched a lot on Disney Plus and I know this was very recently implemented, but I had not watched anything with it yet. So I took a screenshot and I want to read it before we get into talking about the movie itself, because I, I feel like it's important to say. Yes. This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people in or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than removing this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe. To learn more about how stories have impacted society, visit www.disney.com stories matter. And I love this because and love. you and I, you and I talked about this actually driving down to Disneyland, this idea That we should not remove things,
0: but we should educate around things that are wrong. Correct. It came up, you know, that there were some movies that were made back in the 50s, 60s. There are some very culturally insensitive and offensive images and words that are spoken And I really appreciate that rather than removing them altogether from Disney's platform, that they are putting this warning and saying, we realize this is wrong. It was wrong back then, and it's still wrong now. We're not saying it's okay, but let's have a conversation about it. Let's not completely censor this. I I greatly appreciate that that is what they're doing.
1: I wanted to read that, and I think... As we get more movies where that happens, I think I want to continue to read that and reiterate that when we talk about movies that have the same warning applicable to it. So I just wanted to give that, that I don't want to say shout out, but I wanted to give that call out of our warning that we have. And so we start this movie and we are getting the song Arabian Nights. And the uh, the very first credit that we see in this movie, literally, I just was like, yay. The first credit we see is musical score. Before we see producers, writers, actors, artists, anything, we see the very first thing, musical score by Alan Menken and I I applauded. I'm sitting by myself Ugh. in my house and I had applauded when that came up.
0: We have talked so much about this music and how much it adds to this movie. Yes. And then, you know, we we get Salam and good evening my friends and I'm like Oh, hello, Robin Williams. Nice to hear your voice. And then we get the hilarious scene that Rachel talked about before. There was a lot of material in this particular scene, much of which would not have been appropriate for a Disney film, apparently. No.
1: I also <laughs> just like that this
0: merchant, if you look at how he's drawn,
1: he looks like the genie. He's Kind wearing all... of. No, but his outfit is all blue with a red band going across, like, the middle. Oh, that's true. So he literally looks like the genie, although, of course, his face and everything doesn't. But like his outfit
0: is the genie, which is just so fun. We start the tale and we are thrown into the desert of somewhere near Agraba. So this random little guy appears with Jafar and Iago and gives him the other half of this beetle. And Jafar puts them together and it becomes the Cave of Wonders. I do love that the Cave of Wonders has an earring on his left ear. Mm -hmm. I've always noticed that, but it's just like such a random little detail.
1: I think the Cave of Wonders is so badass. And I wish, again, I really just want to see things from different perspectives. I want a Disney thing about the Cave of Wonders. Yeah. Tell me where this came from, how all of this stuff got there, how it became what it is, like where the scarab beetle is coming, like how did it get lost to the sands of time? I have so many questions about the Cave of Wonders.
0: Jeannie says he's been stuck there for 10,000 years. Right. So this little man is deemed unworthy and is swallowed by the Cave of Wonders. Cut to we are in the marketplace of Agrabah and this is where we meet our hero for the first time. I found it interesting. I think this is the first Disney movie that introduces our villain before our hero. I think you possibly... I don't want to say 100%. I'm thinking back on the movies that we've done. I think you're right. I'm going to give it to you that I can be right. Okay, all right. Thanks. So we meet Aladdin, and he has just stolen a loaf of bread. We are thrust into One Jump Ahead, which... Whoo! Love this song! (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to back
1: this up all the way to the beginning of our episode and go to the summary of this. How the hell is Great Mouse Detective including in its summary that it's a musical and this does not (laughs) include that it's a musical? (laughs) I'm sorry. Great Mouse Detective Uh, has has what? One song? And this has the best songs (laughs) ever? And it's not considered a musical? You know what? I'm gonna write a letter. Disney Plus, I need to talk to you about your Disney summaries. Plus,
0: hire us to write your summaries.
1: But yes, this is an amazing song. And I love this it's song. so fast. And this actually, what I like about this song, in addition to everything, is that it really picks up the pace or it shows the pace of this movie. That this is a very fast talking movie, especially yes. through the songs, but even not during the songs. That there's just so much that is said in such a short amount of time. It's
0: it's brilliant. Particularly by the genie. Like yes. he 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 talks so fast and it's just it's nice that we are immediately thrust into this is the kind of movie that you are getting. Yes. So it ends and all of the guards fall into crazy Hakim's discount fertilizer, which I don't know. I find that hysterical every time that I see it. So Aladdin and Abu sit down to eat their bread. And Aladdin calls Abu his esteemed Effendi. And I was like, what the hell is that? I looked it up. This means a man of high education or social standing in an Eastern Mediterranean or Arab country. I mean, he also calls Abu his hairy thief later on. True. So he's just running the gamut of all of the possible titles he could give to his monkey friend. Yes. But I just, I did not know the word Effendi. Mm-hmm. I had never heard it. And I, I guess it could have been used back in that time period. I'll just say, now I'll be the one to make a reference to our
1: mini-sode. We break down a lot of language. There's a lot of language in this movie, in the songs, and even just Mm -hmm. in the dialogue that actually, here we are. I'm 29, you are 28, and there's words that we don't even know as our age because either they're archaic or they just are different languages that are thrown in quite a bit. But this, this movie has quite a bit of language vocabulary that is not, if you're like a five-year-old watching this,
0: you don't know what half this movie means, but that's kind of the point of Disney is that they're making this for the parents, but like the songs are fun. And so he is about to eat the bread, sees the two starving children, gives it to them. Then we hear a, commotion is happening in the streets of agrabah and there is a prince coming in as aladdin is uh pushing through to go see what's going on you see him push between two men uh those are caricatures of our main men musker and clements I'm curious.
1: We haven't really talked about this. Do they have cameos in other movies? I was
0: just going to ask that. I don't know. I I don't know. I'd be
1: very interested to know if they make cameos in the rest of their movies. I would not be surprised if they do.
0: I don't know. I'm interested. Yeah, I'd I'd be interested to look into that. Anyway, so we see Prince Ahmed come in. Yeah, a horse with two rear ends. That was such a good line. (laughs) It's
1: such a good line, and it makes me want to, like, have a reason to use that in today's world. There's no reason. I'll never have a chance to say that to somebody. Unless you see a
0: jerk riding on a horse. I have never hoped more to see that, just so
1: (laughs) I can use that (laughs) line. (laughs) So we cut to the pallets and Prince Ahmed is storming out. He tells the, the Sultan that like basically good luck finding anybody for her because I'm out and he walks away and we see there's a big old hunk out of his backside his pants that's the word i'm looking for to reveal some heart boxers but so the sultan is very confused about what happens and so he goes out to talk to the princess who we have not seen yet so this will be our first our first sight of the beautiful jasmine and we see that not only is there a beautiful jasmine but she has a
0: beautiful kitty Named Raja. Kitty's an understatement. It's a giant tiger. Eat kitty. (laughs) That has in his mouth a piece of the boxers. You know, the Sultan gives her a talking to, like, oh, you know, the law states that you need to be married by your next birthday, which is in three days. Uh, In the original script, it actually does say that she is 16. And that she needs to be married or that she needs to be married by her 16th birthday. Uh, Katzenberg scrapped that. He felt that it wasn't important to state her actual age. Which, fine.
1: (laughs) I just have some problems.
0: Really? You have problems with her needing to get married by the time she's 16? Please share.
1: My problems is that it's written into law. I'm sorry. Let me just step up onto my soapbox for a moment. Change the law. You're the king. Who made the law that was saying when a princess needs to be married? And to who? I'm sorry. Are you trying to tell her what she has to do when she is a child? She is a child. Well, and that's the thing. Like, why is this... Or else what? Or, or else, else what? Not. Right. <laughs> what What is the consequence? But as we're going through this, I i am sincerely apologize because i i did jump ahead and there is something i wanted to say okay that before this scene all happens we do have another scene and that is the reprise of one jump ahead uh, and the yes. only thing i want to say about this and i just legit typed this out into my notes is this this is when you realize that aladdin is the hottest disney guy <laughs> it's when he is singing this in his little home that he shares with abu they're sitting together. He's looking out over Agrabah. And, like, that that's the moment that I'm like, mm. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. He is the hottest Disney guy. I'm sorry. Like, if you didn't think it was possible to have a crush on an animated character, oh, no. look at Aladdin. There's a uh, lot of animated oh, characters, oh, actually, that we could get into. Oh,
1: should we do a bracket? Maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, we should. We need a ranking, but Aladdin's at the top. So I just wanted to go back because I really just wanted to give a shout out to
0: how attractive Aladdin is. Oh, he's very attractive. But then, yeah, no, he's very attractive. So then Jasmine wants to run away. She's tired of this lifestyle. Yeah, because she's never
1: left the palace. She has no friends. And I literally looked at my cat at this moment I'm like oh my god it's COVID I've never left the house I have no friends I'm just talking to my cat the whole time false you've seen me (laughs) now I have um but no it was just a really sad moment like if you realize that she's 16 years old and has never left
0: the palace walls no no shit she wants to leave so next we get our first glimpse into The sultan being manipulated by Jafar's staff. He tricks him into giving him his diamond ring. So Jafar takes the diamond down into his creepy ass little dungeon workshop laboratory place. Lair. The word is lair. (laughs) (laughs) I like that I had to use like five words. And you're just like one word (laughs) it's Uh, his lair his lair thank you because Jafar has to find the diamond in the rough and he sees that it's Aladdin okay so let's cut let's cut back to we're gonna backtrack slightly to Jasmine leaving the palace and saying goodbye to Raja and it makes it she makes it seem like she's never coming back which like that seems silly like I mean, this is a very silly thing. She definitely It definitely seems like she plans to not come back. This girl is not prepared. Oh, no. She has no change of clothes. She nope. has no money. Nope. Those are the two... No food. Like, how is she going to survive? Anyway, now she's in the marketplace. Oh, my gosh. I'm immediately paused by... There are watermelons? Oh, my God. I'm so happy <laughs> that you said that because
1: I remember being a child and this watermelon that Abu and Aladdin end up stealing and they break open and they eat. I remember that thing looks so delicious and appetizing. Just they break it. It looks juicy. And I don't know. It's a honeydew. I hate honeydew. Like it's... It's nasty. I'm allergic to it. It's Ian's you. favorite melon behind watermelon. Like if we have a ranking of melon. Wrong. He is. Thank you. Let's Cancel get that lope. on the record, everybody. Cantaloupe
0: above Thank honeydew you. always. Oh,
1: Adina, this is why we are <laughs> sisters because we understand <laughs> each other. Yes.
0: But they open this melon and it looks delicious. So then Jasmine sees a little child trying to grab an apple. And she says, oh, here you go. And then this massive man is like, you know what the penalty for stealing is. He grabs her hand and is about to chop it off. And Aladdin's like, oh, shit, pretty girl's about to lose her hand. Let me cut in. Oh, good. (laughs) We all need a strong man to save us. Oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, my sister, she's so crazy. Aladdin steals her away, shows her his, his little home with Abu. So as he's taking her back to his abode, as I called
1: it, that's when we do see Jafar has spotted that this is the diamond in the rough. And I just want to say, we haven't given Iago enough props. We haven't given him like any props. So I'm going to give him some props right here. Two things. One, if you have never watched this movie with closed captioning on, you will learn that (laughs) Iago Anytime he squawks, he doesn't squawk. I put that in quotes. You can't see, but it's in quotes. Um, He awks. A-W-K is what it says anytime he squawks. Yep. Um, Which I just (laughs) love. I never knew that. But also... Iago on a little basically treadmill creating a whole little storm is just Jafar is great their relationship between Jafar and Iago is so special as a villain henchman relationship it's hilarious and I love that
0: like when he is around other people he like pretends to just be like what? (laughs) <laughs> like he's not talking but in no. ev- when he's talking to Jafar he's talking like a human
1: but so now yes. so we've spotted that and so as uh Aladdin and Jasmine are back at the abode realizing that they are so similar to one another they're leaning in they're getting closer and the guards who are coming after Aladdin for stealing before have now found him and while he and Jasmine attempt to escape, he gets captured by these guards. And Jasmine reveals herself to be the princess. She yes. decides to throw caution to the wind and say, by order of the princess, you must unhand him. Right. And unfortunately... And then, hold on.
0: And then she all she does is pull her hood down. That's true. I'm sorry. Is that her tiara? Because to me, it just looks like a headband. And also, like... Would the guards not know what she looked like?
1: But also, why didn't she do that earlier when a dude was about to chop her hand right. off?
0: She tried. She said, Let me just go to the palace and get some money. J- 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 hood, hood, take your hood off like you just know. did right now. So the guards take Aladdin away, and Jasmine is pissed. Mm-hmm. And she goes and confronts Jafar because. She is told that this is Jafar's orders. Aladdin is in the dungeon and Abu helps unlock his cage. And he's like, oh, how am I going to get out of here? And then creepy old man says, you know, help me out. I got to get this one treasure and then you'll, you'll be super rich. Yeah, I feel like, again, Aladdin being a street smart guy, he would have escaped on his own. He being stupid. I mean, he got out of his handcuffs on his own. Exactly. He could could have escaped all of this. And man, he was just
1: enticed by the idea of of riches beyond his wildest dreams. Let that be a lesson, kids. Don't fall for people saying that they can
0: give you riches. This creepy old man leads him to the Cave of Wonders. And Aladdin and Abu descend into the cave. And they see mountains of gold. But then we are introduced to arguably my second favorite character of this entire movie. The one, the only, magic carpet. Mm -hmm. He's sneaky. He is sulky. He is sassy. I love him so much. I just really like the words that you used to describe the carpet. That just made me very happy. (laughs) That was fun. They get to the room with the lamp and there's a giant staircase. And then Abu is very distracted by a giant ruby. Now, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I really don't think that Aladdin should have been penalized for Abu going and taking the ruby. And then um, he put tries to put it back. I mean,
1: I think what's a hotter take <laughs> <Okay>. is <laughs> why the hell is it even there? Like temptation. What? It's okay. The whole thing is temptation. Give me a Cave of Wonders backstory. I need more information about the Cave of Wonders because like this is just this random ass ruby hanging out there. I agree that Aladdin did not touch anything. In fact, would you count touching the carpet as
0: touching other things? Because we touch the carpet too. Rather than a backstory though, what I would really prefer is a roller coaster at
1: disneyland i was thinking the exact same thing (laughs) that this whole cave of wonders is totally set up to be a ride
0: oh my god right
1: why hasn't disney done this like hop aboard a magic carpet and escape the cave of wonders yes oh how great would that be Well, I mean, we should say that Aladdin gets the lamp at the exact same time that Abu gets the ruby, even though the carpet's trying to prevent him, which causes... Which the cave yells, and I never knew this, and watching this movie with closed captions, again, is a really good idea since it's such a fast movie, but the cave yells infidels as abu touches the rubies i never knew that i'm 29 years old i've seen this movie countless times i never knew that
0: so the cave is about to close he is hanging on for dear life the carpet has been crushed by a boulder and old man says give me the lamp and i'll pull you up and aladdin being the the overly trusting man he is hands the lamp, and then Abu, like, bites him and swats him away, and then the cave closes. At no point during that kerfuffle do I see Abu even try to reach for Jafar's cloak. Yep. To grab the lamp. Yep. So I'm calling bullshit. I agree, but what
1: we do get out of this is after that cave closes, we get a beautiful thing that I didn't realize I was going to appreciate as much as I did. Okay. We get to see Jafar search for the lamp, and what we really see is that Jafar is bald. Oh he my god! His, his- Disguise, and we see him as Jafar, and he's
0: bald, and it ruins me. I oh don't my understand god! It. I wrote the same thing. I said this is the most disturbing thing ever. I'm very unnerved right now. I don't know why it bothers me so much, no. but I mean, he's bald, and the Sultan is bald, everybody's
1: bald, and it really bothers me in this movie. But then we finally
0: get the genie thirty five minutes into the movie. Yeah, so we have friend like me. Again, this is the last plug we're going to give. Go listen to the Patreon episode that we did about this song, because literally we just talk about this for like 30 minutes.
1: I just want to give a plug too, and I'm going to give one fact about this song, and then we're going to move okay. on. But it's a fact that I say in the Patreon. So if you want to like listen to cool things about like what I'm going to say, it's even cooler than this. This scene, A Friend Like Me, was the first animated scene for the whole movie. So if you look closely during this, Aladdin actually looks differently than how he looks in the rest of the movie. It's super quick. They decided to not change it because it's such a quick cuts between every scene. If you're curious to why this change happened or who he was inspired by for the beginning or the after part, definitely go
0: listen to our mini-sode. So we've now met the genie. And he goes into his rules. Three rules. Three rules, except there's also a secret fourth rule. Yes. So, rule number one, I can't kill anybody. Rule number two, I can't make anybody fall in love. Rule number three, I can't bring people back from the dead. Secret fourth rule, no wishing for more wishes. Yeah, it's like the precursor to the... It's the precursor. But also... For rule number three, when he says he can't bring people back from the dead, he says, I don't like it. So theoretically, he could have done it before and is like, ah, shit, this is terrible. So he physically can do it. He just chooses not
1: to. We all have our own bugaboos. We all have our things that we don't (laughs) like to do. The genie doesn't like to bring people back from the dead. It isn't pretty. He doesn't
0: like to do it. Don't make him do it. Aladdin kind of goats the genies like oh you're so powerful I bet you can't even get us out of here. I described him as shifty in this moment. super shifty. Mm -hmm. But it works very well in his favor because the genie gets them out and Aladdin doesn't waste a wish. We cut back to To the palace palace. and while we're at the palace this is the scene
1: that I call everybody shifty. Uh, Shifty (laughs) Jafar points out that there's apparently an extra rule that he probably just wrote in there right
0: now saying that... You mean that he definitely just wrote in there right now? Yeah,
1: that he definitely just wrote in. Yeah. That if the princess cannot find somebody, the sultan can choose who she will wed. Here's where it gets real shifty. And Jafar is not the only shifty person here. This is where we find out Iago might be the worst mastermind of them all.
0: Oh, yeah, he is.
1: <laughs> because what we realize is we have to figure out the chump... That he's going to, that Jasmine's going to marry the chump husband who will then fire Jafar. And Iago hatches, eh, he's a bird, hatches a plan that is so diabolical, but actually
0: really good, but very shifty. Oh, it's a fantastic plan. And I'm shocked that Jafar didn't come up with it himself. Right? Right. And
1: when Iago says this plan, at first he like winces because he's afraid Jafar isn't going to like the plan.
0: So the plan is to have Jafar marry Jasmine and become the Sultan. God. What a great plan. It is a great plan, but also God. Then we're going to flash back to the desert Oasis. So he's trying to figure, Aladdin's trying to figure out what he should wish for. We get Several additional Easter eggs when you know, Aladdin has wished to be a prince and uh, he needs some sidekicks. So Jeannie says, let me figure out what we can turn him into. Oh, an elephant. And in the spell that he casts, he says the word Dumbo. And again, this is now the most referred to movie of all Of the movies we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah, I'm really
1: happy that we're standing by that discovery that I think Dumbo is the most referenced Easter egg Disney movie. But then we cut to wonderful song, Prince Ali. Oh my God. So good. This song is so incredible. The art, the song, the sound, the lyrics, the every. This song is the total package of a Disney song
0: i agree it it gives you everything
1: you could have possibly wanted in a disney song and watching it with captions on you guys again this everything is so fast watch this once with captions or look up the lyrics while this is going on because it's pretty incredible all of the lyrics that they fit into this song aladdin makes this grand entrance he has the ego That comes along with this. I'm surprised that the genie didn't talk to him about, you know, maybe being yourself, like to have that conversation earlier before. He did. No, no, no. Have it happen like Mm -hmm. as okay. Mm -hmm. Like, let's get a scene before they like crash open the gates and just be like, "Hey, man, don't let this get to your head." Um, (laughs) Or
0: or be like, "Hey,
1: maybe tell the truth," (laughs) right? Because the scene of the three guys arguing about jasmine and whether or not she can see aladdin and all of this right and, and she comes in with the line that women everywhere just need she walks in and she just says i am not a prize to be won incredible oh, that, that writing great. is very very good for for jasmine it shows that independence of she is a princess but she ain't gonna
0: put up with shit from no one Aladdin's like, ah, crap! I have ruined my chances with Jasmine. Then, magic carpet floats him up to her windowsill, and uh, she has some witty repartee with him. Like she's tricking him into like, oh yeah, I have a lot of money, and I'm really beautiful, aren't I wonderful? And then, oh, why don't you just throw yourself off of <laughs> a balcony? And he goes, okay. <laughs> Um, and it is here that she definitely recognizes that that's Aladdin because he says the phrase "Do you trust me?" He pulls her up on the carpet, and we get a whole new world. It's a it's a great song. It's a great song. It's wonderful. Hot
1: take: we are we already said it. It it didn't. It shouldn't have won over a friend like me.
0: It's a beautiful scene. Oh, gorgeous! You know they they travel throughout the world, which. The carpet is very fast, apparently, because it goes to Egypt, Greece, and China, which, fun fact, the original story of Aladdin takes place in China, which is bizarre. Very bizarre. No play on words like with the word bizarre. (laughs) Then, you know, they're sitting in China watching the the firework. And then instead of coming clean and saying, no, I disguised myself as a prince because I think you're beautiful and I want to be with you. He goes... Oh, sometimes I dress up as a commoner. Like, dude, that would have been the best place ever for you to come clean. Be like, I put this whole charade on because I didn't think you would like me enough if I was myself. Not only that. So I had this moment. I like paused as I was
1: taking notes. And the first thing I write is, does Aladdin ever like have any consequences of lying to Jasmine in this moment? And at first I thought, no, because it doesn't matter because he comes to her rescue later on. And then as the movie progressed, I thought to myself, wait a second. This whole movie would not have a problem if Aladdin came clean while sitting on that rooftop, said, here's who I really am. Jasmine would have still been in love with him. And then he would have used his third wish right then when they got back to set Jeannie free. Or he would have used any wish to set Jeannie free. The, then the Jafar whole, would not yeah. have gotten the lamp and none of the future things would have happened. So yeah, by him lying to, in this yeah. moment, you just not only like dug yourself deeper in the hole, you screwed over all of Agrabah. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, he's just a selfish asshole. It's fine. Wonderful.
0: Then Aladdin goes and drops Jasmine off back at her balcony. And then they're just kind of looking at each other. And then the carpet just like floats Aladdin up a little bit higher and Kiss. Beautiful, well done. I love it. What what a bro! What a bro carpet. I think that this movie is really all about the bromances. You know, we got Alan Genie, Alan Carpet, Alan Abu. Like it's all about the
1: bromances. It totally is. This is a friendship movie more than a love story. And if you look at this as a friendship movie more than a love story, it's a better movie. i Agree, hundred percent. So, as he after he drops Jasmine off, he comes back floating down from cloud nine, literally, yep. and he immediately when he lands is essentially captured and tied up because Jafar has realized that he has the lamp, and so he is going to do something incredibly terrible, which is throw Aladdin into the ocean. With a cannonball attached
0: to his feet. Okay, so yeah, he's at the bottom of the ocean. Yep. And fortunately, he has the lamp in his hat. Mm -hmm. And by a series of miraculous events, the lamp ends up behind his tied hands. This is where Aladdin, quote unquote, uses his second wish. He doesn't wish for it, but. Jeannie saves his life. It's fine. It's, I would count that. that he's no, I would count it. he's in yeah. his
1: head that he would be saved and that he wa- doesn't die. I would be wishing that. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, we we cut to Jasmine. She's brushing her long hair. And uh, the Sultan goes, Jasmine, I've found you a husband. It's Jafar. For a while, we don't see Jafar. We just Correct. See, we see the Sultan. The Sultan under hypnosis. Yes. This is where Jafar realizes that Aladdin has the lamp. Aladdin smashes Jafar's staff, in turn, breaking the spell. Sure. So Jafar retreats to his lair. Aladdin and Genie get into a fight. He leaves the lamp in his quarters. Stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. You have an all-magical artifact. You, I don't care that you're in a fight with it. You don't leave it lying around. No. You don't leave it lying around. So he goes to find Jasmine to tell her the truth. But instead of that happening, he is pulled up onto a stage onto the entire kingdom of Agrabah. Is like, ooh, okay, yikes. In that process of that happening... Jafar gets a hold of the lamp, rubs the lamp. Jeannie comes out, thinks it's Aladdin. It's not. I have an issue here. I do too. Wouldn't it make sense that Aladdin would have to use up all of his wishes before... Genie gets a new master. I would love for, in addition to Cave of
1: Wonder backstory, I'd like some Genie lore of the <laughs> rules. Not necessarily Genie rules of no bringing back somebody from the dead, but like lamp rules. Can I understand yes. the rules of the lamp? In the, that, Are you telling me that the lamp can just like change hands? And then right. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. When Aladdin gets it back, is that resetting his three wishes? Like right right
0: here there's a lot of uncertainty so jafar's first wish is to become the sultan okay fine whatever bro his second wish is to become the most powerful sorcerer in the world and then he somehow takes a pillar of the castle And shoots it like a rocket ship into what I can only imagine is Siberia. While singing the reprise to
1: Prince Ali, which I will say is phenomenal. Jafar really doesn't sing. Jafar just gets a reprise, but it is. No, Jafar deserved his own
0: solo song. So he
1: shoots this pillar off with Aladdin the carpet and Abu in it stupid, which is dumb. why did you send him with the carpet? I think what's really cool when he does shoot this pillar off the scenery. And I think this just goes on to what I was saying at the very, very beginning the scenery of this movie really draws you in and it, it he ends up in such a cool unique place. I hope Super it's Siberia. Cool. I have a Siberian cat. Like I really hope it's this, Siberia.
0: Uh, Siberia is the only place that makes sense. Like in the middle of Russia, like if they're in Well, I mean, I think I was thinking that
1: he was he got sent to like the Himalayas.
0: Okay, That's that could also ha- make like, sense. Like in my
1: brain where he was sent to. We don't know, but it's some we snowy don't. mountainous region. And it just looks really, really... I don't know. The backgrounds are so well done in this scene.
0: The animation overall in this movie is top Top -notch. notch. So we see Aladdin and Abu. They are trying to dig at this massive column, which, look, I'm no snow master, but that seems like it'd be really challenging to dig a giant pillar out of the snow so that it will roll properly off of the magic carpet i don't think they're actually
1: trying to do that i think they're digging at it i no, no no, no, i know i know i think they're just trying to dig to be able to get the carpet out i do not think the intention is to dig a okay for the pillar to roll the rolling of the pillar is unintentional i saw It, it as intentional Oh, I don't think it was intentional. Because he,
0: he then perfectly situates himself where the window would be. Yeah, cuz he's thinking, "Oh shit. This pillar is going to crush me." I was not sorry. His plan. I would if if I was in that situation, I would not have thought to go and be where the window was. I would. I would I mean, have been crushed.
1: Okay. Well, don't do that. If you see a big heat thing rolling okay. at you and there's an open space, line yourself up and protect your head (laughs) like here's some survivalist techniques okay oh my goodness yeah no i
0: i don't think it was intentional at all okay all right you know that makes more sense than my fight of let's dig this giant pillar out so he hops on the magic carpet and then is immediately back in agrabah like a matter of minutes later. We already have proven in a whole new world
1: that this carpet travels <laughs> faster than a jetliner. Like, this oh, thing just yeah. moves
0: so fast. We then see Jafar's kingdom. And then we get Jasmine's super sexy red outfit. My... Hey. oh, It's gorgeous. It is. And
1: you know, I again, like it. we said at the beginning, like here's the thing she never leaves the palace she has some like sexy looking stuff hey, good for her she Wear probably it.
0: you know like has a personal trainer that's helping her keep in shape <laughs> damn straight she, it's raja okay raja Look, is just I'm, like i'm sorry if i was a princess and never left a tower i would just eat all the time
1: <laughs> oh i was i was gonna say the opposite i would probably oh. just work out all day. <laughs> Why no one's seeing
0: you? (laughs) Okay, this is where we differ. Jasmine sees out of the corner of her eye that Aladdin has returned. He, in my mind, he's been gone maybe ten minutes.
1: (laughs) That's what it seems like. Like it does not seem like that he's been gone that long.
0: It's definitely not been a day. (laughs) It's no. It's the most a matter of hours. Yeah, we're we're talking like five hours maximum max um so jasmine is like oh like aladdin's here he's gonna save the day so this is the one scene that goes
1: into your summary of Aladdin, street rat aladdin and princess jasmine team up to save the day against the sorcerer yeah you're right this is it you're right
0: the only reason that jafar under like realizes that Aladdin's there as he sees his reflection in the tiara that Jasmine put on to distract him Jafar catches him and then he's like oh you're a rat in my trap and he turns into a snake but yeah he turns into a a snake a big snake a creepy ass snake and then shifty Aladdin convinces him to wish that he will be a genie an all a okay. genie which I have issues with him doing this.
1: <laughs> okay. Because I again I don't know lamp lore. I've already said I'd like some additional lamp lore. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> lamp lore. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need some lamp lore here, people. Okay, so he becomes a genie. And then we know the genie can use magic when he's not being wished for it. Like we've seen him have these great cosmic powers of getting Aladdin out of the cave of wonders
0: Aladdin never said the magic words only if he has been summoned from So the you're lamp.
1: telling me the genie can only use magic when he once he's been summoned Yeah cuz Aladdin has to rub the lamp every time he wants the genie to pop out Okay Second point, counterpoint. Counterpoint. Go for it. Where does this lamp come from? Does it just pop out of thin air when he becomes a genie? Like all of a sudden you're a genie, you have a black lamp? Yes. Yes. I don't like lamp lore that we've made up on this podcast.
0: Aladdin, shifty Aladdin, has tricked... Jafar.
1: We didn't even say the line that we find out at the very beginning when he meets the genie yes. of the, a genie while they have phenomenal cosmic power itty bitty living space, space. <laughs> and so apparently in Aladdin's brain becoming a genie while it seems great is a great thing to tell Jafar to wish for because it will turn him into can, can I just Has anybody ever wished to do this before? I'd love to, again, know the past. Like, what's been going on? Have we ever wished to become a genie? Like, this seems like a weird wish. This seems like in line with the bugaboos
0: that genie already has. Let's round out this movie. Let's finish off this movie. Aladdin has one last wish. And fortunately, he becomes not a dick and wishes genie to be free. And genie is thrilled and then sultan is like i'm gonna change the law and be like she can wed whoever she wants like really th- that would have solved this entire movie before we got to all this shit why didn't it, why didn't aladdin change the rules then like, right for his first wish. wish my wish is that the princess can wed whoever she wants and that okay. she knows i'm alive like, okay.
1: There's wish number one, wish number two. Genie, you can be free. Like that's it. You could a <laughs> bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada, bada boom.
0: Bada bing, bada bada boom movie over in five yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> they they get married and end of movie. And uh, Genie's last line, the last line of the movie, is "Made you look," which is also his last line in Good Morning Vietnam, and that's the end of the movie. I absolutely adored that we
1: started season two with this movie because (laughs) it is so good and like we said we could have gone on literally hours just talking about facts about robin williams in this movie and we tried really hard we wanted to give everybody enough credit not just because while robin williams is a huge part he didn't want to be the main attraction of this he didn't want the genie to take up the the posters he didn't want to have the first billing in this movie like he didn't want the genie to be the star even though the genie was going to be the star ever since he was going to take this role yeah this is a
0: whole second episode it is
1: just it is so i just wanted to say how much fun it was to look into everything Super genie fun. related not genie related and to re-watch this movie i hadn't watched it in like i don't know a couple of years and i uh,
0: yeah i hadn't seen it in a while i watched the live action version probably a year and a half ago pre-pandemic oh, what is that
1: like oh i think i watched it during the pandemic i think that was one of the first things i watched during the pandemic
0: i know i love this movie it's it's always been one of my my all-time favorite disney movies for sure my favorite of the renaissance i know that's a it, it's a hot take but again it holds a very special place in my heart because it is the movie of my my birth year i think it was the perfect pick for us to come back to this wine was delicious alongside of it i drank a lot of it i didn't oh, talk same. about it while while we No, were doing we didn't this, we like, were very engrossed in conversation but like, like i drank a lot damn, of this wine it's it's so good And it was so
1: fun to have an Israeli wine, have a Middle Eastern wine, as we're talking about the Middle East in the 15th century. And, you know, (laughs) obviously. Um, But it was, I think this was a really great wine pick. Again, to start off, we, we had some iffy during season one, but season two, we're starting off so strong.
0: Coming in strong. I'm very excited. But Rachel, what is our next movie? I'm so glad you asked. So I kind of actually gave a little hint earlier in
1: this episode. I personally left one of the Easter eggs to our next movie already in this episode. (laughs) Um, But I think now that we're in season two, we've talked about this movie so many times throughout season one and already into season two. I want us to go back. We've hung out in the Disney Renaissance for a little bit. I want us to go back in time a little bit. And I want us to watch Dumbo. Oh, shit. <laughs> I know. I feel like this movie, I have not seen. in so I don't think I've seen it oh. as an adult. And I'm a little worried to watch it as an adult. But I I think we need to get there. We need to rip this bandaid off because we talk about <laughs> it almost every other episode.
0: It is a trip. Literally a trip. And yes, it is. And I can't wait to bring y'all on this trip with us. So on that note... Rachel, listeners, a hearty. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you
1: so much for listening. You can find us online at DisneyRewind.com. That is D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D.com.
0: You can also follow us on Instagram at DisneyRewind.
1: You can also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
0: And finally, you can send us an email at disneyrewind at gmail.com. Again, that's disneyrewind, D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers.